Welcome to the Food and Faith Podcast, conversations from the soil and around the table with your co-hosts, Anna Wolfenden, Derek Weston, and Sam Chang. Welcome back to another episode of the Food and Faith Podcast. This is Derek Weston, your co-host. Happy to have you with me. Um, Today we have a really interesting guest uh, by the name of Jason Brunson. Jason is a husband, father of two beautiful girls, and the founder of Rebel Gardens, where he works to help people grow more real food and rely on industrial food less. Um, I came across Jason just very interested by the name of his company, Rebel Gardens, kind of caught my attention, and I have been on his uh, fairly regular newsletter. I just really appreciate, um, as you'll hear in the conversation, his take on gardening being one of the um, ways that we can uh, push back against the food system um, that we are uh, all a part of. So uh, I hope you'll enjoy that, and I hope that you'll take something away from this conversation. Um, And if you are enjoying and learning with the Food Faith Podcast, do encourage you to support us at patreon.com. You can support us at any level. Um, Just go to www.patreon.com slash foodandfaithpodcast. All right, enjoy my conversation with Jason Brunson. All right. I am here today with Jason Brunson. Uh, Jason, thank you so much for being with us today. So glad that you could make the time. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to it. Uh, so Jason, we begin our interviews um, the same way every every time. And we ask people, what is your geography? What are the places, the culture, the music, the things that have shaped you and made you who you are, whether they're, again, geographical, that could be where you are now, but that could be also things from your past. So what is what is your geography? My geography. So my literal geography at the moment is uh, the Pacific Northwest. Um, I'm just just a bit south of Portland, Oregon. Um, so that's, you know, informing my current life. Um, and then as, as we go back, you know, I, I was raised in California, and I was born in Wisconsin, and you know, I've lived in North Carolina and some other places. And uh, it's really, you know, my geography that formed me has been one of a lot of moving, uh, a lot of trying new things, and a lot of embracing um, a lot of differences that I'm, I'm glad I got to embrace. What, what in particular, which, what kind of differences would you say that all those moves kind of brought to the surface for you that, that you, um, upon reflection, look back and say that that helped shape who I am. Well, it's 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 one of those things. It's a lot like when people travel internationally, which I'd love to do more of. I haven't done much, um, but just being able to kind of hop around. Because even like I spent most of my formative years in California, but even there, it has its own little pockets yeah, of culture. Definitely. And um, you know, when I was growing up, like you know, my parents were from you know kind of the Midwest. So I grew up just in a very straightforward, like meat and potatoes house. And, you know, we, we ate stuff out of cans. Um, and it was really like getting to go and see kind of what the, the crunchy hippies in California ate when I lived in the Monterey Bay area and mm. um, living with some of the more like the, the farming communities in, in Salinas and Hollister and that, that portion of California. And then going to North Carolina and getting some of the, I don't know if they would consider it Southern culture, but that stuff over there and it's just it's remarkable how much we normalize that is actually just it ain't normal it's just how you do things um 
and it's great. It's great to break that up and to let your kind of, you know, your geography get formed. It's the, you know, you can see the map, right? You, you know what people in Japan eat and you know what people in Germany, how they can do school. You can Google that, but the terrain is always so different. And yeah. I always encourage experiencing the terrain whenever you can, not just the map. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's such a great insight. I think travel broadens our experiences, broadens our minds, but, and, and we forget how um, just incredibly diverse this country is and, yeah. and um, not just in terms of cultures, but in terms of the land, the landscapes, the, the mentalities, all of the things that have gone into forming people um, into, into their beliefs and, and those sorts of things. Um, so I want to jump in and talk about Rebel Gardens. Would you mind, mind sharing with our audience who might not know what Rebel Gardens is? Yeah, yeah I'll give you the, the, the quick elevator pitch to start us off. Um, so Rebel Gardens is a company we're dedicated to helping people grow more food. Um, right now, our primary line of products is um, some curated collections of seeds, right? So vegetable seeds, herb seeds, kind of anything that you can put in the ground and get food to come up. Um, and we, we exist sort of at an intersection of we're... I don't consider us a gardening company, right? That's, mm. that's where we get classified. If you look us up, we're, we're gardening. But really what we are is we are a tool. I like to say that, that you know, any advertisements I ran, I run are propaganda, mm. right? Because I view our industrial food system as fundamentally broken. And it's going to take a lot of different actions. So we're one node in a network that's working to completely overhaul uh, food in America. Mm. And so that's what we are. So I, I, I love that. And, and the idea, you know, just the idea of rebel being in your, in your company name uh, suggests a lot of things. And, and I get your regular emails and, and this idea of rebellion is kind of, of built throughout the conversations that you like to have. Um, where did this awareness of the brokenness of the food system come for you? Like when, when did it dawn on you that like, this is just not the way that food is supposed to work. So um, it's funny. My my daughter actually asked me practically the same question uh, two <laughs> nights ago. So I'll give the same answer. I'll give the same answer I gave her. So it all started uh, when I wanted to uh, build muscles to impress girls. Right? <laughs> Normal great stories start for a for a teenage boy. Makes and, sense. Um, you know, I went down the rabbit hole of, of bodybuilding. Right. So I'm almost 40. So that was back then it was you know, magazines and, you know, books, if you could find them. Um, and as I went through that, I started just getting bits and pieces of like, oh, like, oh, you mean like eating stuff from a can isn't the best? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, the, those bag of chips aren't the same as corn on the cob. This is mm-hmm. like, this is interesting. Okay. And, uh, and from there, I just spiraled out of control. And, you know, before you knew it, I was drinking raw milk and I was eating, you know, raw foods and I was doing all this different stuff. And it's just evolved kind of an ebb and flow since then. And just trying to figure out, you know, what, what, what makes food work? Like what, and, and kind of going beyond your question a bit, but what I found was that food's really the intersection of community almost the intersection of all of society. Mm. Um, You know, virtually every culture has tradition centered around food, right? That's always been a big piece of every culture. Um, 
But if you actually start digging through, and this is kind of, you know, as, as you're growing, you get interested in different things. I got interested in the environment, and I got interested in politics. And, I, and what I kept coming back to was our food system over and over and over, right? One of the biggest polluters, our food system. One of the biggest sources of bad health in the country, our food system. Um, you know, why, why are so many people overweight? probably our food system mm -hmm. um if you want to make people smarter what's the like well you need a better food then like over and over and over the overlap was just constant and uh eventually i was like well all right let's uh let's focus on this a bit more let's see what we can do mm. That's that's so uh, you know that that resonates so much we with our, our our conversations that we've had with other guests is that you get to a place where all of the justice issues the social problems and you start to see that there's a food component with each and every one of those things you know I had I had that experience myself of like all of the things that I cared about um, had a food component to them and and that kind of brought me into thinking of more deeply about, about the food system. I want to take a step back because we, we, we have said already a couple of times, the brokenness of our food system Define that brokenness. What is, what is the brokenness that you see in our food system? What's, what's wrong with it? All right. So the, you know, the easy answer is everything. Um, <laughs> But to, to put a little flesh on those bones. So the way I, I, I typically will explain it is we don't really have a food system in this country. What we have is a system of, of calorie production. Um, if you go back in time, um, I mean, you can actually go all the way back to like Abraham Lincoln, but particularly back in about the 60s and 70s, um, well, you go back about the, the New Deal or the Depression era, especially, um, there was a shift. And it was a reasonable shift, right? People were hungry, like there wasn't enough food. Mm -hmm. um, so there was a huge shift to, we need to make more calories. This is what we need. People are hungry, we need more food, we need more calories. And that was you know, completely understandable. The problem is that became a system and that became entrenched. And there became so many different political and corporate and you know, just various sociological you know, forces that just held that in place. And over time, we evolved out of the need for just more cheap calories. But that is where our food system is. And so we've gone on this wheel of just extraction. And so now in the 21st century, when our primary problem in society, at least health-wise, is obesity, we still have a system where we are strip mining our soil. We're dumping loads of pollution into groundwater and the ocean. We are just really, I mean, abusing animals in the, you know, for industrial production for them. Um, we are just producing, like you go into a supermarket, you just have vast arrays of, like, it's so cool. You have so much variety until you flip them over and you realize what you have is a bunch of different types of corn and wheat. Um, like we just, you know, it's, it's breaking our economic system. It's breaking our environment. There's really no point at which food isn't somehow broken. It doesn't provide nutrition. It damages the environment. It sucks resources. It's bad for the workers, bad for the animals. It's yeah. I mean, it's all broken. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really well said. I think when you look at 
sort of the complexity of 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 you know the quote unquote food system and I, and I like I like what you said it's it's really a just kind of a calories production system um at every level there's there's abuse of the land there's abuse of animals there's abuse of workers there's there's injustices at at every level um and that can feel very daunting um and then you kind of come around and kind of say that the one of the or part of the solutions to this very daunting problem is something very simple gardening growing our own food so how do you, how do you get to gardening as a solution to this kind of enormous problem so i came to gardening for two reasons so the first reason is like psychological um there's you know there's been different studies and things done where, where people will go to schools and they'll hold up an eggplant and the kids won't know what it is you know, so they'll hold up, you know, Brussels sprouts or broccoli. The kids will know what that is. They'll say, where does this come from? They'll say the supermarket. And they'll hold up something else. And where does this come from? Supermarket. And we've gotten to a point where we have a couple generations now that is completely divorced from food production. Like, they literally don't know where food comes from. They have no idea what it means to put a seed in the ground, tend to that, and produce food. No conception of it. So gardening to me is a first step in reforming that bond. And you can get spiritual with it, or you can just be very pragmatic and say, like, you need a tacit understanding of what it means when we say, you know, farmers grow our broccoli. What does that actually mean? Um, and so that's the first thing. Like, I, I feel like we're so disconnected that until we make that reconnection at scale in society, it's going to be hard to take the hard steps that we need to take to fix things. The second reason I came to gardening was because as I was reading different histories and different things, I discovered that, you know, in certain places in the world at certain times, like in America, it was World War II. Um, there was, I'm blanking on the time, but in Russia, they had what they called it their DACA gardens. I apologize to Russian listeners. I'm sure I butchered that. Um, but those both produced upwards of 50% of vegetables for society. And those were strictly home gardens. So we actually can not just reconnect with nature on a symbolic level, but we can actually bring production to our homes. Rather than growing grass or rather than, you know, having bare window seals, you can grow food and you can become a meaningful part of that chain of production. And right now, if you go into your supermarket and you want lettuce, so you grab a bag of, of pre-washed lettuce, what you don't know is that's one of the most contaminated foods in the supermarket, most people are, that I talked to are completely unaware. Greens are like top three. Like they're up there with hot dogs, right? They're very contaminated. They make people sick all the time. Um, you don't know just how much degradation of the soil went into that. You don't know how much, like, just hard, I don't even know what to call it, but just what the workers go through um, to, to pick that lettuce for you. And you don't realize that that act of buying that bag of salad is just one chink and this chain where there's almost nothing good. Like you get food, that's good. Everything downstream from that is broken. But we can do that ourselves, right? Only like two, two or 3% of agricultural land is dedicated to vegetable production currently. 
Yeah. Like the amount of land dedicated to grass, some it's like 10x more than, than what we used to grow. Yeah. Um, so we just need a fraction of what we just dump loads of water, money, and poison into our lawns, turn that into feed production. We could take over like historically half of vegetable production in the country, probably the whole thing if we really got serious about it. Um, and from there, it scales in remarkable ways. Um, you can move into like aquaculture where you start growing fish along with your food and you can move into just all, you know, yeah, you're probably not going to have meat cows in your backyard in suburbia, but we can have a completely relocalized system that has healthier food, that has better tasting food, that has a production chain that has at least less, if maybe even no, like brokenness to it. And that really does start with you being like, hey, like, I think I'm gonna grow some tomatoes in my backyard. That is one of the on-ramps to that future. It's not the only on-ramp. We can argue if it's the most important on-ramp, but it is unquestionably one of the on-ramps to that future. Yeah. There is, I think, a uh, a tendency to look at something as large as our food system and say, this is broken beyond repair. There's nothing I can do about it. Um, but, but what you're talking about are these small, local, hyper-local solutions that can have kind of multiplying effect. Um, and, and what it feels like when I get your, when I get your emails, I, what it feels like is, is movement building. It feels like you're, you're in the process of, of, of kind of, uh, it is, it is a revolutionary act of, of, of trying to get people to see in their own, um, little ways in their own little compartmentalized ways that they can they can take shots at the system and begin to change it and 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 think those those um think of these problems in different ways Uh, what how does i mean what is that that movement building idea like how does i mean that feels that feels very political that feels very 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 radical but but it's it's inherent in what you're doing and and you're you're pretty uh clear about that's (laughs) that's your goal what do you what do you see as the end result of of this kind of movement building how does this movement building how does it happen how have you seen it grow what do you see as as where this movement goes so one of those benefits kind of getting into this stuff when i was a teenager is i've got to watch um kind of we'll just say the food movement for lack of a better term grow and change over time (laughs) when i was first kind of getting into into things it really was like crunchy granola people who were into that right you learned about permaculture it was from mother Earth news and it was left-wing people and they worshiped mother gaia and that's fine that was great you know, if you start Googling that now, you're going to find that there's a bunch of right-wing people who are into that, right? Like homesteading, you go into like homesteading YouTube has a bunch of right-wing people. And what I thought, like the left-wing people haven't gone away. The right-wing people, some of them are new, some of them have been around a long time. But food just cuts across that political divide, mm. right? Because at the end of the day, like either you have a plate of nutrient, 
dense food that came from a production system that's not full of broken, or you don't. And you know how we may prefer to get there is you know that's fine. You know that's what politics is for, figuring out the best way to get to you know an end road. So what I consider my job, right? So when I send out my emails, um, you know what what would my daughter call it? I'm a hopium dealer, right? I'm trying. I'm trying to take this huge, impossible to wrap your brain around thing and say, look, you don't have to fix that. Like, if you want to, if you want to go be an activist and you want to try to change the world, like, I'm not going to stop you. I'm going to high five you and say, let's go. But like, that doesn't need to be your thing, right? I have two kids. I have a wife. You know, I can't grow as much food as I want. I can't dedicate as much time as I want. It's fine. We, we take the steps we can take. For me, like before I ran Rebel Gardens, I worked for a company that was uh, an e-commerce company. It was basically sold stuff on Amazon and eBay. We would import it from you know, China or wherever. And I was really studying marketing on Amazon. And I realized one day when I'd been given a gift card and I was going to go buy some seeds for my garden, um, that I hated all the selection on Amazon. It was terrible. Like none of the, like it was all just cheap companies that stood for nothing. And you could tell they just took the cheapest route forward to provide some seeds to people who wanted big tomatoes. Nothing wrong with that per se. That's not what I wanted. I was like, you know what? Okay. I actually know how to fix this. I'm going to go fix this. And so I took my skills in you know, marketing on Amazon and eBay and stuff. And I took my desire to have a company that represents the change I want to see in the world. And I smashed those together and I built Rebel Gardens. Um, and we all have those little things, right? Some people have a good amount of money and you can go buy the expensive steak and you can go buy the expensive CSA boxes and that, like do that, right? Maybe you're a doctor who has no time, like, you don't have time to grow a single tomato plant, much less try to grow half your food or something. Great. Go support the people doing it right. Maybe you're poor. Okay. Well, you know, there's been lots of studies. Once you kind of get up the snuff on garden, you can save six, $700 a year growing your own food. So there you go. Like everyone's got an on-ramp that they can take to this problem. And, you know, mine was, you know, online business and someone else's, is going to be whatever. And I have no idea what that is. There are there is an infinite number of ways you can approach this, and we need everyone, right? So I deal with hopium. I say, look, it's not an impossible problem. It's something that's just going to take a few million people doing their little thing, and eventually it changes, right? You don't have to put Dole out of business, right? To just name one massive agro company, you don't have to because they have like five percent margins, right? You only need a few million people to just never buy their product again and they're either going to do the right thing or they're going to go out of business we don't need everyone we don't like just stop and collectively we we will win it just takes time and that's you know that's kind of how i approach this whole thing is not you know i'm not a revolutionary leader that's not me it's not my personality i just want to encourage people to take the smallest step they can and hey, if you can go more steps later, great. If you can't, that's fine. Like, let's just do this and let's do it. And that's that's where I come in. That's great. Um, I, I love that idea of of you know. So often, I think people just underestimate how much power they have. Um, and this is actually a very kind of empowering message that the ability to grow food um, is a power that we have in our in our culture. And 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 
and to some extent that some of us have more privilege, more access, we can do more and we can use use those abilities that we have to really fight back against the system. Now, I, I do want to ask you this question because your seeds are on Amazon and and so there's there's this question, you know, Amazon sort of this big juggernaut that in some ways feels like it's part of the problem, but I feel like you've been able to use it in a way that, and I know that you, that you've even said this in your newsletter, you know, people can buy directly from your website if they don't feel comfortable using Amazon. Um, but what that decision to be able to sell your seeds and be able to sell your products on Amazon, like what, what was, talk to, talk to me about that decision-making and, and how has the ability to use Amazon um, helped you get this message across? So, you know, as we sit here in 2021, I agree Amazon has become kind of part of the problem, right? It's a machine and it's, I'm not going to go down that, that road right now. Sure. But yeah, I, I agree with the people who are like, I don't want to buy on Amazon anymore. I'm like, I completely get that. You know, the problem is, you know, virtually everyone is still buying it, right? So if that's not you, rebelgardens.com. <laughs> Come buy my stuff there. Totally fine. Um, working on, you know, additional marketplaces. It's great. There's, there's options. But yeah, I mean, it started there because that's what I knew. Like that was where my training was. And I stay there. I mean, yes, that's, you know, where most of my, my revenue for my business comes from. But I, I realized even if tomorrow I didn't have to sell on Amazon, I would still I would continue doing it. And that's simply because it is a massive outlet, right? If someone comes on and they're like, well, I want to grow some organic tomatoes. And for whatever reason, they scroll through the list, they see mine, what, they're on sale, they think the packaging is cool, whatever, they buy it. You know, they get it in things, they get a little note that's like, hey, welcome to the rebellion. And they're like, what, what, it, what? <laughs> and, you know, that goes from there. You know, how many people is that going to impact? I don't know, 2%, half a percent, 20%. I have no idea. But it's kind of how you get to people. You know, right now, I, I'm not a huge Amazon fan. I'm not a huge Facebook fan. I'm not a huge Instagram fan. Um, more and more, I try to avoid those on a personal level. But on a business level, like that's still where the eyeballs are. And so I got to go there. I got to be like, hey, like, cult, let's go to work. And yeah, yeah, believe me, I would love for, uh, I would love for there to be a, a non-Amazon alternative that I could just skip them entirely because, you know, who, who shops there anymore? That's for, you know, boomers or whatever. But <laughs> so far, no. So yeah, yeah it's, it's, yeah, it's a tool for propaganda. Well, and, and I, I really just, Thank you for for saying that. I, I think that sometimes, you know, in in the in the desire to build movements, there is um, sort of this need for um, for purity, right? That we are completely set aside from the 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 bad things out there, so that we're you know we're we're beyond reproach, right? But there is, you know, 
there, there's got to be a, a bit of pragmatism to this. Like, if you really want to make change, you have to be where people's eyes are. If you really want to make change, you have to, you know, you have to use tools like social media. You have to use tools like like Amazon. You have to use some of these tools. Um, you know, you hopefully use them wisely and with good stewardship and all those sorts of things. But, uh, you know, I, I absolutely appreciate just sort of the the pragmatic um understanding of of this is where people are and if if we really want to see change in the world you gotta you gotta go where people are so i'm uh, one of the things that i'm you know i i'm very much anyone who is has listened to this show knows that i i am in a full-on war against lawns but it's not just our own personal lawns one of the things that um, I have really thought about a lot is the use of sort of common space. And with um, faith communities, I've been thinking a lot about, um, you know, uses of church property, uses of synagogue property, and the fact that those those institutions oftentimes are the ones who are, are you know, just as much as individual users putting thousands and millions of dollars into maintaining the lawns of a church, maintaining the lawns of a synagogue, maintaining the lawns of a what whatever other institution. And I'm just wondering if if you've had thoughts about how do you begin to talk to those sorts of institutions about these sorts of things? You know, sometimes, you know, on an, on an individual personal level, I feel like there's, there's a lot of, you know, kind of personal connection you can make about here's what you can do to grow your own food, but it's kind of harder with some of these larger institutions. And, and, and so, and my world is kind of the, uh, the faith community institution world. Like, how do you, how would you approach having some of these conversations with, with those kinds of institutions? That's a good question. That, that's actually um, something I personally struggled with for, for a couple of years now. Um, Cause I, I had never really thought about that until I read a book uh, by Joel Salatin. Um, I believe it's called the pigness of pigs. So highly recommended if you haven't read it. Great book. And, and one of the big points he makes in there is like, churches have huge lawns that you're just spending money to maintain. They have these huge kitchens that sometimes can go weeks at a time without really being used, right? They have like industrial, like to code kitchens, yeah. commercial level. And he's like, why are we not using these things to grow food, to create food, to build community around food? Um, and I was like, wow, I just never thought of that. Mm. And, uh, you know, so I've kind of referred the book to different people in, in, in my church and, and different things. Um, but I'm much more of like a, an exit guy, right? If I want to see change, like I'm going to go start my own business. Mm -hmm. I'm not a big like working through the system guy. Um, so I don't have a great answer. Um, but I would say awareness is definitely the first step. Because if you're like a lone voice, they're probably like, well, that's great. But, you know, so what? Um, cause that's natural. Like it doesn't, whether it's a church or a corporation or, you know, your, your neighborhood HOA, like that's, you know, loan voices don't get a lot of traction. So build awareness and, uh, slowly yet surely you can, you can get a critical mass and you can probably make some substantial change, but yeah, I will admit not the best guy to ask. Cause I'm going to be like, <laughs> no, I, 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 
go start a new church. <laughs> that might uh, that has been the answer for several of our guests on this show. <laughs> I mean, are you are you known as the Rebel Gardens guy in your church? Do people know about the work that you've done? And 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 if so, how is it received? Um, honestly, not really. Um, it's you know people who know me know what I do for a living and. You know, sometimes they're interested, sometimes they're not. Um, I've kind of gotten over the like going after people phase because it's whatever. You can't force anyone to change. Um, you know, I've seen that too much in my own life to expect it to be different for other people. Um, but I'm always there, right? Like they'll be talking about, oh man, I want to grow something. I'm like, hey, you want some seeds? I got seeds. You want to go start a garden? I hear you say garden, your seeds. <laughs> and, you know, it's just a slow process. Yeah. yeah, that's me. Yeah, no, that makes that makes total sense. What's what do you see the future of Rebel Gardens being? Like, what are you know? I I assume that you're thinking of of scale, and I assume that you're thinking of, you know, I've seen in some of your your uh, recent communication, recent emails, you've been thinking a lot about indoor gardening because of of fall and winter, <laughs> just yeah. just ha- they just happen, um, and and. So I'm interested both in terms of products and and the business side, but just also in terms of like the philosophical side and the 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 propaganda side. Like, what do you see as the future of Rebel Gardens? That's a great question. So on the business side, um, I am trying to figure out what people really need. Um, you know, seeds are a me too product. Like, let's be frank, you know, you can go to any store in the land and you can find seeds at least during the right season. Um, you know, I try to bring a lot of, you know, stuff with curation and, you know, compostable packaging and recycling and these different things that I think are lacking in the industry. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, tomato seed is tomato seed, right? Sure. Um, so what I'm looking to do is I'm saying like, what, like, I currently live in suburbia. I'm going to talk my wife into getting a homestead in the middle of nowhere someday. But so far, so far it's been a no-go. Um, so I'm like, well, I know what I need, right? I don't have a lot of space. I don't have great sun. I don't, you know, I have, you know, X number of months and then there's <laughs> nothing's going to grow. And so I've started to reach out and try to work more like, what do people actually need? And one of those things uh, has been very clear for indoor gardens. Like, how do I grow more stuff year round? It's great if I can grow lettuce for three months, but what about the other nine? Um, so that's a product that I'm, I'm working on. It may or may not come to fruition. Um, Unfortunately, with all the the COVID nineteen stuff, has just wrecked supply chains, and it's 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 very expensive to to get stuff done right now. Um, so that's not soon down the road. Hopefully, things settle out, and um, but that's one thing I'm working on. Um, the other thing I'm working on is trying to become more of a of a nexus point, um, trying to connect people with different teachers. Um, different things why I'm loving going on podcasts like yours because you know I'll, I'll turn around, I'll send this out to my email list and then hopefully that will connect people who vibe with what you're doing and you know you'll get some new listeners and that will help you grow and then like we kind of just build on each other um, and so that's sort of the business side um, what more can I do like what, what do you actually need um, how can I help you get connected into the broader community then from the propaganda side um, you know, flows from being a connection point as well. Um, but I'm also realizing 
kind of as I'm building the business, like I don't care that much about scale. Uh, we're in a blessed period of life that like, you know, you don't need a ton of employees. You don't need huge infrastructure. You can have you know, a great business that pays your bills and is small and, and is meaningful. So, you know, I become a billion dollar company. That's fine. I'm not going to say no. Um, like that's not my goal. Yeah. So what I'm realizing is I want to help build out this sort of decentralized future around food, but as much other things as I can as well. Um, you know, so it's, yeah, it's down, it's down on the roadmap. Um, you know, being small does have downsides with resources and time. Um, but like, you know, I want to accept cryptocurrency. I want to, you know, move away from Facebook and YouTube and, you know, support alternatives like, you know, float.app or Odyssey or any of these other things. And I want to just sort of move into groups that I think vibe at a philosophical level but maybe have no idea that food's a part of that story mm. Um, mm-hmm. and just sort of build that out. So it's not, I don't want to preach to the choir. I want to find other fertile soils that I can, I can plant those seeds and, and we'll see what grows. And so that's kind of, those are kind of my two things, you know, build tools for gardeners and find people to become gardeners. That's, that's where I'm at. That's great. Um, you mentioned the effects of of the pandemic on supply chains. Uh, what has, just kind of generally speaking, what have you observed and seen as, you know, I, I've noticed that um, seeds were hard, you know, particularly last year, seeds were harder to get. I've noticed that gardening uh, uh, supplies have become more expensive. I've noticed, you know, things are selling out that two or three years didn't sell out. Um, what do you think has been sort of the effect on uh, on gardening in general and the, the effect that you've seen in your business from the pandemic? And um, do you think it's a lasting effect? So for gardening specifically, um, the effect's been great, right? Because especially last year when so many people were stuck at home and terrified of stores were going to run out of food, like a lot of people turned to garden. Um, and that was great. Mm-hmm. Um, do I think most of those people will stick long term? Probably not, but some of them will, and that means there's more people growing food. Um, so, I, you know, that's the silver lining to me uh, of of the pandemic. Um, you know, the the flip side then is is supply chains are broken. Stuff is harder to come by. Um, it costs, you know, it is roughly ten times more expensive to import something. Um, like if you say, if I would produce a product in China and import it here, it's 10 times more expensive. Like that's insane. Mm. Um, that's, that's more than the profit margin of a lot of stuff. Um, so it's, it's give and take a lot more people are interested and that's great. Um, but then it's just a lot harder, um, Mm. to, to manage the future and be prepped. Um, I'm hoping the gardening love stays and the, the difficult supply chains go away. Mm. Um, but yeah. Well, we're just going to have to wait and see. I'm, I'm definitely on the, the taking it day by day when it comes to that. Yeah, yeah. I would, I would imagine that that's got to be complicated for you. Um, where, where do you, where do you end up sourcing most of your seeds uh, that you that you sell? Ninety nine point nine percent of my seeds are all grown, harvested, packed in America. Um, a small portion of my microgreen seeds uh, sometimes will come from Canada. Okay. Completely, you know, I, I don't know for the compostable packaging that could be made in China. I don't, I, 
it's an American company. I buy it from. I don't know where they produce, but basically, that's a, that's all uh, you know, American produced. Um, but some things, like if I want to have a grow light, mm-hmm. there's not really a whole lot of options outside of China. Maybe India. Um, you can't you can't affordably build that in America. I'm not even sure you can legally build that in America. <laughs> um, so so in terms of seeds, it's all U.S. Um, but then as I as I look, I'm looking everywhere for for how can I best build tools to serve people. Yeah. And as I was telling Jason before we started recording, I I have um, this is this is not a paid advertisement, um, but I have used Rebel Garden seeds. Um, and in fact, just this weekend, uh, harvested a bunch of uh, pole beans that I that I grew um, from Rebel Garden seeds, and and have appreciated. You know, I'm 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 one of those people who appreciated the join the revolution <laughs> note uh, when I got it and open opened my package. So uh, thank you for that. It's, it, it actually, um, there is something that feels empowering about that note being your seeds. And, and there's something empowering about feeling like when I go out to my garden that I am doing something, even that, that small little piece in my, in my, uh, in my backyard to uh, push back on, on some of this broken brokenness that we're seeing in our systems. Thank you. So, yeah, that's great to hear because you know I put that in there, and you know you don't know. So I, I love hearing that that's uh, that's vibing with people. I love that. Yeah, uh, it definitely vibes with me. Um, so we uh, we end all of our interviews. Uh, same question: uh, What is it that gives you hope? And and when we say hope, not sort of a flimsy um, pie in the sky kind of hope, but like a, a resilient hope. Uh, a, a lasting hope, a sturdy hope. What what are the things that you're observing in this work that you're doing that that give you hope? So that's a great question um, because actually the past month has been has been one that I haven't had a lot of hope. Right, like if you notice, I haven't emailed as frequently. It's just been a very rough. You know, there, there's from the grand pandemic problems of the world to smaller personal things. It's just been. It's been a rough time. And lately I've been reflecting. I was actually just last night, we had a family friend over and we were talking and I realized like everything we talked about for like two hours was negative, hundred percent of it. And I was like, like, yeah, there's a lot of sucky things, but like, life's not that bad. Like, why can we only focus on on the negative? Like, why is that the only topic of conversation? And I began to reflect and literally kind of count my blessings Mm. and what I've come to is what gives me hope um, is two things. So one in sort of the grand scheme of things, hundred um, percent of my hope is in Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. And like at the end of the day, that's where my hope lies. I think that that changes the world in, in ways even beyond food um, on a more tangible level. Um, it's my kids. Mm. That drives me, on the one hand, to make a better world, right? I want them to have a non-broken food system that they can grow up and my grandkids can inherit. Uh, But on the other hand, like, it's great to see the work that they're doing and to know that, like, for all the mess that we have, like, whomever you want to blame, whether that's whatever group you want to blame, like, there's another generation coming up that doesn't have to repeat those mistakes. Mm. And that gives me a load of hope that maybe I won't be alive to see it. That's okay. Like the world can get better. And, and I genuinely think it will. Um, 
we all got to do our part. But like, yeah, that gives me hope. Yeah, I, 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 amen to both of those things, both in sort of the grand finding our hope in Christ, but also, yeah, that our, our kids are, and I, I see it in my kids that they're, they're uh, smarter <laughs> than I ever was, uh, that they're, they're uh, more tolerant and open and, and, and just they're kinder. You know, there's a kinder world that they're, there's a more compassionate, I, I should say, I want to say it this way. I think there's a more compassionate world that they are, they are helping to create. And, and I, I love to see that. Now is the time for you to go ahead and plug all of the things that you want to plug. Uh, where can people find you? Where can they find your products? Where can they j- just go ahead, just hit them, hit all them right. with everything. Plug away. Um <laughs> So the simplest place is rebelgardens.com, right? So if you want to find me, it's sort of my spot. You can find my seeds. You can um, find a way onto my email list. You can learn more about us as a company and what we stand for, what we do. Um, That's where most of my resources are going right now. Um, If you are listening to this from the perspective of food and you're like, oh, gardening sounds cool. um, There is a website at uh, growfoodnotgrass.com. Um, you can sign up. I, I worked last year, early on in the pandemic. I teamed up with a bunch of like cool people on Instagram and YouTube who are like pros at gardening, and we made a totally free service for new gardeners. So go on, bunch of videos, top to bottom. You can come out of that a gardener. Don't need to spend a bunch of money on courses or books. Start there. Um, yeah, that's really it. Um, those are my main resources. Um, Go read uh, Pigness of Pigs by Joe Salatin. Um, go pick up Grow Food, Not Lawns, which is a great book that obviously inspired my, uh, my, my video series. And yeah, go plant something. I don't care if it's my seeds. That's fine. <laughs> like, just start growing food. Excellent. Well, Jason, thank you so much for being with us. We appreciate your perspective. We appreciate the great work that you're doing. And uh, I'm so glad that you took some time out to share, us, share with us a little bit about uh, the revolution that you're you're helping to be a part of. It was great to be here. Thank you for your time. Thank you for listening to the Food and Faith Podcast. Our collaborators are Wake Forest School of Divinity, Plain Song Farm, the Garden Church, and the Keep Until. Editing is by Derek Weston and music by Paul Deemer. Follow along and keep up to date with the podcast on Facebook at Food and Faith Podcast. Twitter and Instagram at Food and Faith Pod or on our website at foodandfaithpodcast.org.